You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Climate change and the policy towards climate change has been to the fore in the last four years in the United States of America and therefore globally because of the policies of the previous administration or soon to be previous administration. There is a new administration in the White House from the end of January, so how will it change? With me now is co-head of thematic equity at 91 in London, and that's Deirdre Cooper. You must be quite excited I think, Deirdre, about the developments over the last two to three days. So let's get that out the way first. Are you excited? Look, I think we are. And I think it's not just um, what's been happening in the United States over the last two to three days, whereas, you know, clearly we just saw this morning Vice President Biden tweet that the US came out of the Paris Agreement on the 4th of November, the day of the results, and they will go back in in 77 days when, as we're assuming for the basis of this podcast, um, you know, when when we have an, a new president in the White House and a new administration. So it's not just that. It is also the significant positive regulatory developments that we've talked about before in Europe and also, um, you know, potentially upcoming positive regulatory developments in China um, as we move into the 14th five-year plan. But there is no question that this new administration, certainly if you read um, the Biden manifesto, it's really night and day when it comes to climate policy um, from where we were um, over the last four years. Yes, and of course, this is is the most contemporary theme that we must talk about now. How important is it, the difference between the Republican stance of the last four years to the potential Democrat stance of the next four years and maybe even beyond? Can we underestimate, or rather, is it overestimate, the the importance of what is going to happen? In other words, probably going back to uh, being part of the Paris Climate Accord. You know, and on the one hand, you have things like the Paris Climate Accord, you have the sort of international climate agenda, which is important. The U.S. has extraordinary influence. Um, Then you have the domestic agenda, where if you look at the plan that Biden ran on, you know, he was announced early July. It really reflected a pivot towards Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren's um, plan from the primaries with a net zero target by 2050, 100 percent zero carbon electricity by 2035 and four million buildings upgraded to become more energy efficient. Um, Now, of course, campaign manifestos are not policy. And without control of both houses, it will be much more difficult um, to implement this climate plan. Having said that, there's a lot that can be done. Energy is kind of unique in that there's quite a lot that can be done through executive order. Having um, a FERC and an EPA, who are some of the key regulators involved, run by different people, much um, you know, better staffed, will be a very big deal. And of course, infrastructure stimulus is generally popular with politicians of all stripes. So we still believe that it's highly likely there will be some kind of stimulus package in 2021. And then, you know, we need to see what kind of forced trade can be done between Democrats looking to implement climate positive measures and Republicans, you know, more keen to protect um, the fossil fuel industry and the jobs within that industry. Of course, we don't yet know how, what the shape of the future Senate. We have a, a runoff election in Georgia, which it may mean um, 
you know, that there is um, a democratic, a very narrow, but a democratic majority in the Senate, which would make measures much easier to implement. I think the best way to characterize this is that in spite of, you know, the Trump administration's clear agenda to bring back the coal industry, the last four years have been very strong for the renewable energy industry, for the climate um you know, industries more broadly um, in the United States. And as one of the CEOs of the companies, one of the one of our biggest holdings, a U.S. utility called NextEra Energy said recently, he said, look, we've had the best four years we've ever had. Could you imagine mm. what we could do with an administration that actually liked renewable? That's very encouraging indeed. Uh, exactly. So there could be a whole new world of renewable energy sources and initiatives unleashed under a new administration. But let's get away from the world's largest economy and get rid of the noise of politics and go to the second biggest economy in the world, allegedly anyway, and that is China. And you sounded quite enthusiastic when you when we first started talking about what's happening in China, and with good reason, I think. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I think the single most interesting um, climate policy statement this year was the 23rd of September when Xi Jinping spoke at the UN in um, New York and talked about a 2060 net zero target for China. Now, of course, 2060 is a very long way away and we have to be sceptical about politicians setting targets that are way, way in the future. Having said that, the timing of that statement was really interesting. 2021 is the start of the 14th five-year plan in China. The policy agenda is being set as we speak. And um, the, the Central Committee meeting that would set it really followed on directly um, from Xi Jinping's statement. So putting all that together, we really believe that we're on the cusp of a transformation in China from um, targeting the emissions intensity of GDP to really moving towards decarbonization. And that's really important because China is about 28% of global emissions. The US is less than 15%. Um, so the opportunity set um, in China, the size of the market is just absolutely enormous. So China builds more renewable energy, two times the renewable energy of any other country on earth, um, but that doesn't even meet the incremental power demand growth. They're still building significant coal. So there is a real step change potential driven by China policy, regardless of which of the measures. And there are lots of important measures that could go through the Senate, some of which would give us, you know, for example, on the wind sector, as much as 100 percent upside. Um, if certain measures, the, the production tax credit and investment tax credit for storage are extended, um, we see a lot of upside to the electric car sector if the current credit, which is seven and a half thousand dollars, um is the limit that's currently limited at 200,000 vehicles per manufacturer, we would expect that to be lifted, which would give big upside to our US EV forecast. So there's lots of micro things that are happening in the US that could be really exciting. Um, but we would still say the biggest market opportunity, as you pointed out, is, is to watch not west but east. Okay, we're watching East and we're watching West. And let's get rid of the noise of the US election. The fact is that behind the scenes, things have been progressing anyway. And that was a four year blip, as far as I can see, when it comes to policy from the United States and getting out of Paris. And now we're going to get back into Paris. And what, what you've just said over the last couple of minutes means that there must be an ever growing universe for your strategies at 91 in London. That's exactly right. Um, we continue to see growth in our investment universe. We continue to see, 
you know, increasingly positive investment um, outcomes from the companies that we invest in. So they typically this year have performed better than we thought they would. Um, I think as we've moved through the COVID crisis, we've really seen a change, for example, in consumer behavior. Um, you know, to quote one particular data point, in October in Europe, for the first time in history, more electric car sold were sold than diesels. So that's just one micro example of that changing consumer behavior, which means those companies are performing better than we expected. And we're therefore revising up our long term forecasts um, for those companies, which means that we therefore see see more value than we did previously. And we see, as you say, more companies entering that universe and the universe growing. So it's a pretty exciting time to be doing decarbonization investing. It really is. And on, on a final note, so it's not just the people at the top that are driving this policy. It's actually a bottom up approach as well, because people uh, like you and I are saying, well, actually, I want an electric car. I don't want a diesel car or a petrol driven car. I want to do something about this. And we're changing our habits accordingly. That's exactly right. And I think we've spoken a lot this year about the interaction between the three big macro drivers that we look at for decarbonisation. We look at regulatory drivers, technological change and consumer behavioural change. But in reality, they all work alongside each other. So consumers demand um, more sustainable products. Companies, you know, to take one example, Apple, a big, large company, has now a target in place to develop a net zero supply chain within the next 10 years. That will require huge investments in technology, but it also influences regulation. Companies, countries want to, to be part of that Apple supply chain and then put in place faster decarbonization plans, regulation to support that. Um, so all three are working alongside each other um, and at the moment are generally um, pointing towards a bit of a tipping point in terms of an acceleration in um, decarbonization. Uh, if I may impose upon you, Deirdre, can you give me one example of a company that has really caught your eye since we last spoke? Because I love examples. Give us an example of something that really embodies what is happening in climate change investment policy at the moment. So one great example, you know, as we look more in China, we really see a potential step change in China. Um, we've held... Um, you know, over the last couple of years, a company called Wuxi Lead Intelligent that makes the capital equipment to make batteries for electric cars. Um, really exciting company generating high 20s, low 30s return on equity with, we think, a very strong competitive advantage. We've also recently added a position in another Chinese company um, called Sanhua Intelligent Controls that make temperature control systems. So they sell into energy efficient air conditioners, but also into the temperature control systems for cars and the battery management system for electric vehicles. And they have you know, a fantastic market position, sole supplier to Tesla, to Volkswagen. So we don't need to choose with Wuxi Lead and um, Sanhua Intelligent Controls, you know, whether the consumers are going to buy Teslas or Volkswagens. Both companies are exposed very broadly to that entire um, electrification of transport trend. Deirdre, thanks so much for your insight. That's uh, Deirdre Cooper, who is co-head of Thematic Equity at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position 
or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.